were warning, if you're listening on a radio, you don't have to worry about this because you won't see it. But we have a brutal piece of video to show you. It's an attack on a police officer in New York City. And the reason I am showing this, I'm going to show you all of it. It runs about a minute. I'm going to voice it over by giving you the facts of the case. But the reason I'm doing this is to show you what police officers are going through in every major city in this country because the progressive left has pretty much destroyed the criminal justice system in America. Now, a lot of people are not paying attention to this, but certainly if you know police officers, if you know any law enforcement, they know what's going on. And you should, too. And this will vividly bring it home. That is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. So we begin Saturday, July 23rd, last Saturday, okay, 6 p.m., Harlem, New York, 125th Street and Lexington Avenue. Okay, so there are police in the station. They see two 16-year-olds, a boy and a girl, hopping over the turnstile. Okay, they are avoiding paying going on the subway. Now, this never used to happen before because if it did, you were arrested. Now, because of the progressive leadership in New York State and city, you are not arrested. The worst that can happen to you if you jump over a turnstile is you get a ticket, which these people don't pay anyway. Okay, so the police confront the boy and the girl in Harlem on Saturday at 6 p.m. Roll the tape, I'll voice it over. The boy immediately starts to aggressively confront the police officer and it descends into a physical confrontation. You can see the girl there trying to help the boy and a female police officer neutralizes the girl. Now this goes on for more than a minute. You can see how intense this is and that both people could have been badly hurt. Now the the third man that just came in is a transit officer and they finally neutralize the 16 year old boy. Okay. Now this kid just in the past few months, was arrested carrying a loaded gun and then arrested again for a robbery. This same kid, he was let out both times carrying a loaded handgun. So the next time you hear Governor Hochul or the mayor of New York City or anybody talking about handguns, you say you're letting criminals who carry loaded handguns out. No bail, no anything. Okay? So, the police officer has to go to the hospital. The two juveniles are booked. They're let out right away. Right away. They're let out. And here's what they're charged with. Assault, second degree on a police officer, obstructing governmental administration, resisting arrest, disorderly conduct. Doesn't matter. Even though the guy had an arrest with a loaded handgun and now an assault on a police officer, he's out on his own recognizance. That means no parent, no parent there because he doesn't have a father. I can guarantee you. All right. So he's just out, just walks out, goes back to gang headquarters and he's a big hero. This is the system here in New York City and in Chicago and in Philadelphia, and in Baltimore, and in L.A., and in San Francisco, and in Portland, Oregon, and in Seattle, and in Minneapolis, all of these places. Why? Because 
The progressives who run those places don't want to prosecute criminals, especially minority criminals. That is the truth. So put yourself in the shoes of that police officer. This guy can assault him. What if he what if he took the police officer's head and banged it against the steel girder there that you saw? Maybe if he killed the police officer, they'd hold him. Maybe. And you know, the sleazy lawyers are going to run in self-defense. It's the cop's fault, overreaction. And here's the kicker on this. The cop wasn't going to arrest the two. All he wanted was them to get out of the subway system. He wasn't going to arrest them. This kid wanted to assault the officer because he knew he'd get away with it and be a big hero in his gang. This is really the worst that I have seen in this country. And it all comes back to the progressive left. It's right there. Yet millions of Americans continue to vote for them. Minorities, African-Americans, voting against their own protection, putting themselves in physical danger. Last night, there were nine people shot in New York City on a Monday night. This never happened under Bloomberg and Giuliani. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA with more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers? I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get an extra 15% off by using promo code BILL at checkout. So please go to FastGrowingTrees.com. Use promo code BILL at checkout. Okay. Now, we called Governor Hochul's office for comment. Of course, I'm not going to say anything because she's the problem. She could do away with this no bail law. She's the problem. Yet she'll get millions of votes in November. It's almost suicide, cultural suicide. And the police, I, I can't tell you. Every police officer, every single one in all of these out-of-control cities know they are. They are in danger. And that's the memo. Okay. All right, last night we did, I think, one of the uh, finest pieces of journalism we've done in the past five and a half years since I've been doing the No Spend News. We gave you the absolute truth about the January 6th committee and what they are trying to do and how they did not call 
and issued subpoenas to people who could have told the American people the truth about what happened on January 6th. Then based upon all the information that I gave you, I analyzed exactly what happened. If you are a BillOReilly.com premium member, you can access that report if you missed it anytime you want. And I strongly encourage you to do so, so you'll see the difference between what we do here on the No Spin News and what all the other television news agencies do. It's enormous, the difference. Now, there are two questions that people wrote to me about. I want to address them both. First of all, who had the authority to call in the National Guard to protect the Capitol on January 6th? The authority laid with the Defense Department, the DOD, Department of Defense. That's who could have ordered the troops in. But their fallback, this is General Milley and President Trump, who's the commander-in-chief of the armed forces at the time, was we don't want to send those troops in if the Capitol Police and Washington, D.C. doesn't want them. Okay, remember, this was before anybody knew anything that was going to happen on January 6th. This was days before. So according to NPR, of all people, the director of the Capitol Police Force, a man named Stephen Sund, S-U-N-D, made six requests, six, in the days before January 6th to the House and Senate to bring the Guard in. All of those requests were denied. All six were denied. And Sun says because they didn't want, quote unquote, bad optics. Now, Sun was fired, so he has a beef. Okay. Now, what we do know is that the guard never showed up. We knew that. Muriel Bowser on January 5th, one day before the riot, said this put it on up, quote, to be clear, the District of Columbia is not requesting. Other federal law enforcement, that would be the National Guard, discourages any additional deployment without immediately notification to and consultation with the Metro Police Department. Okay, so Bowser didn't want him. Bowser didn't want him. Clear. Pelosi said, I didn't know anything about it. That's untrue. He had to know because the formal request was made by the Capitol Police Chief. Six times. She had to know. She's not telling the truth. What a shock, right? Nancy Pelosi not telling the truth. So anyway, again, we nailed it. Go to BillOReilly.com. If you're not a premium member, become one. You get a free book and everything else. And you will know what happened on January 6th because it's important for the political landscape of America going forward. You know Trump's going to run. And you know the press is going to attack them over January 6th. So you should know, and all your friends and family should know, what the deuce actually happened. And we have it for you. War on the police in America. Underreported story. Because the progressive left press doesn't like the police. So it's underreported. First, the FBI chief, Christopher Wray, on 60 Minutes. Violence against law enforcement in this country is one of the biggest phenomenons that I think doesn't get enough attention. Last year, officers were being killed at a rate of almost one every five days. 
But why are more officers being killed right now? Some of it is tied to the violent crime problem uh, as a whole. But one of the phenomena that we saw uh, in last year is that an alarming percentage of the 73 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty last year were killed through things like being ambushed uh, or shot while out on patrol. They were killed because they were police officers. Right. Wearing the badge shouldn't make you a target. All right, here are the stats. Last year, 21, 59% increase in cops intentionally killed in the line of duty, 73 of them, up from 46 in 2020. So uh, I think the best expert on crime in this country right now is Heather McDonald. She is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, comes to us from Irvine, California. So it's interesting, you wrote an article recently that said police shootings on unarmed black men have gone way down since George Floyd, yet police being killed is way up, right? Do I have it correct? Absolutely. And uh, when you make the calculations, you find that a police officer is 400 times as likely to be killed by a black male as an unarmed black uh, person is to be killed by a police officer. So the narrative that everybody has absorbed uncritically from the media, which is that we're living through an epidemic of racially biased police shootings of blacks, is completely false. The impression that people have that that daily blacks are getting gunned down is a complete optical illusion created by highly selective, deliberately uh, uh, manipulated press coverage. Okay. In 2021, only six black men were killed by police, six black unarmed men, okay, not in the commission of a crime, six. Have you looked at all six of those cases? Not these particular ones, but I've looked at this category of unarmed. This comes from the Washington Post database of fatal police shootings. And I did a very exhaustive analysis of their 2015 unarmed cases. And the Washington Post is quite generous to say the least in how it characterizes somebody as unarmed. In 2015, you saw people who were grabbing an officer's gun so it wasn't his gun. It wasn't the, the criminal's gun. So he'd get, get it to be counted as, as unarmed. Right. But he was putting the cop on notice that he intended to kill him. Or you can be fleeing in a stolen car with a loaded semi-automatic pistol in the seat next to you, and you still get to be counted as unarmed in the Washington Post. But, but let's say that it, this is truly, these people were not unarmed. They were not uh, attacking, but they were all resisting arrest. Uh, that's compared to self-identified 47 million blacks in this country. That is not a big reason why blacks die of homicide at 13 times the rate of whites between the ages of 10 and 34. The reason blacks die of homicide at such higher rates is not the cops. It's not whites. It's not white supremacy. It's the, because they're being killed by black criminals and the nation turns its eyes away from that reality and, and is engaged in this racial hysteria, blaming white people for every problem affecting blacks today. And that's not justified. And it's not backed up by any stats. So the reason that the Washington Post, the New York Times, NBC News, all of the corporate media, 
the reason that they don't report the truth based on the statistics, as you do at the Manhattan Institute, is because fundamentally they believe that white police and white politicians and white people with power, particularly white men, are racist and don't like black people. That's the genesis of all of this, is it not? Well, I can take that's true. That's sort of an intermediate level belief. And I, I totally agree with you. I think they do believe that. But the reason that they are so insistent on this obsessive compulsive search for phantom white racism is that the elites are terrified about black inner city dysfunction. They do not want to look at it. We turn our eyes away. Every day, blacks are beating up on whites in just extraordinarily sadistic ways, and it never gets covered. Uh, it's it's a, an extraordinary thing. This is not the behavior of white supremacist bill. Uh, we, we sweep this black inner city barbarity under the rug because the whites are the elite whites are terrified that the behavior gaps and the achievement gaps are never going to close. And so they are preemptively coming up with the only allowable explanation for the lack of racial proportionality at Google and the overrepresentation of blacks in prison. The only allowable explanation today, if you're on MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, is white racism. Right. And if you say the opposite, you're a racist. So therefore, nobody says the opposite because they don't want that brand put on them. So that we're in basically a twilight zone of talk about misinformation and disinformation where the truth is not going to be told by the corporate American media because they don't want the people to know the truth that there is much more violence in the black community than in the white community. Do I have it? Yes, I mean, the videos don't lie. We've seen the videos of the looting. Everything in the criminal justice system today is driven by one thing, and that is race. If you wanna understand why progressive prosecutors like George Gascon in Los Angeles or Alvin Bragg in New York or Kim Fox in, in Chicago are not enforcing laws against looting, turnstile jumping, uh, trespass, resisting arrest, it's because if they do enforce those laws, they will have a disparate impact on blacks not because the laws are racist, not because the police are racist, not because judges are racist, but because blacks are committing crime at astronomically higher rates. And we've decided as a nation, well, somebody's decided, at least the elites have decided, we would rather not enforce the law at all than have a disparate impact on blacks. And the I, result of this, of course, is that another 2000 blacks were murdered in 2020 compared to 2019. Right. I mean, the, the violence in the black communities is staggering and, and nobody's done anything about it for decades. Last question, has the Manhattan Institute or you researched the reason why blacks in America are more violent than whites in America? Is it poverty? Is it deprivation? What is it that drives the violence in the black community? Well, it's certainly not poverty. The, the safest period in this country's history was the Great Depression. We had virtually zero crime. Uh, it is the breakdown of the black family. These kids are not getting socialized. Their fathers are not around. The mothers have children by many different fathers. The fathers have children by many different mothers. It is chaos. 
the social skills are not getting passed on, bourgeois values, what sort of upbringing leads to a, a young black teenager, 15 year old spraying bullets across a sidewalk with utter indifference to who he kills. There is a breakdown of basic civilizational norms. The, the root cause of this is the breakdown of the family. And this is gonna have to be a cultural revolution. No amount of redistribution of, of taxpayer dollars is gonna make a damn bit of difference. We've been redistributing money, having anti-poverty programs, for six decades since the Great Society, it has not closed the crime gap. No, it's worse now than gap. it's ever been. It's worse now than it's ever been. Is there any other country on this earth that has this kind of a problem disproportionately between Caucasians and blacks? Yes, the, the crime gap exists in every country. To this extent? Well, we have gun violence. Uh, the crime gap exists. What differentiates our uh, racial, you know, inner city violence is we have guns. And that's the reason why we have a much higher incarceration rate. Our rate of gun violence is about 43 times higher than other Western European countries and Japan. Uh, and it is driven almost exclusively by people of color. In New York City, uh, blacks commit about 75% of all drive-by shootings, though they're 23% of the population, add Hispanic shootings to black shootings, and you get about 100% of all shootings. That's true in every city today. All right, Heather, thank you very much for the analysis. We really appreciate it. Two years ago, okay, you had riots all over the United States objecting to the demise of George Floyd. In fact, 13,000 600 people were arrested in those coast-to-coast -coast riots, 13,600. Well, what happened to those people? An organization called the Prosecution Project, all right, follows this. And this is based in George Mason University in Virginia, okay? Now, I think the project's in D.C. So, out of the 13,600 arrested, Charged possible trial, 11. Charged no trial, that means dismissal, 45. Guilty plea on a part of the rioters, 109. Found night guilty, 55. Total cases in the system, again, out of 13,600, 1,482, around 10%. Now, the people that were arrested, by and large, are the bad, bad, bad people, not the people who didn't throw bricks at the cops or set fires. These are the worst, the worst, all right? The 13,600 that they actually arrested and booked and took in because the cop has to write a report. So justify taking the person down and giving it to the district attorney. He's got to write the report. He's not going to say, well, I, I saw some guy who was just had a sign, I arrested him. No. So listen, 10% of the worst were adjudicated. Is that amazing? Okay. Town by town. Portland, Oregon, arrested 1,100, prosecuted 165. Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, more than 3,000, all right, arrested, prosecuted about 2,000. That's not a bad record. New York City, 5,000 arrested. The city will not say 
how many were prosecuted. However, in Manhattan, the DA dropped 64% of the cases, and in Brooklyn, 83% of the serious cases were dismissed. San Francisco, 127 protesters arrested in the George Floyd riots, zero prosecuted, no one. Houston, 796 arrested, 194 prosecuted. L.A., more than 3,000 arrested, 210 prosecuted, about 5%. Minneapolis, 800 arrested, 95% dismissed. How about that? Is that justice? Joining us now from Washington, D.C., Julio Rosas. He is the author of a new book, which I read and I recommend, called Fiery But Mostly Peaceful. That's a kind of sarcastic title. The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. It uh, came out May 3rd, the same time Killing the Killers came out. And I hope you buy both books. All right, uh, Julio, I gave the stats to the folks. You don't quibble with any of those stats, do you? No, no, I certainly do not. Okay. So on, based on your eyewitness reporting, because you were in these riots, many of them, what were the worst situations that you saw? Well, probably the worst place was Minneapolis, was at the, at the start of everything, because just the country was just really unprepared because, you know, before everything was centered around COVID and the emergency response to that. So Minneapolis, in terms of scale, in terms of people who participate in the riots, in, in, in my opinion, what it was that I personally covered, it, it was the worst. I mean, yeah, we, we have these stats about people who, who, who were arrested. And don't get me wrong, obviously a lot of people were, but uh, I can just tell you that it doesn't really reflect uh, just really how how many people were partaking in this. I mean, just looting, vandalism, uh, even worse, you know, destruction, uh, probably setting things on fire. I mean, we're, we're talking about thousands of people in just in just one city, like like Minneapolis. And in, in that case, it's technically like two cities with, with, <laughs> with St. Paul being right next door, which also experienced some pretty extensive damage as well. So um, it, it's, it, it's a pretty damning indictment on our justice system and and you have to also think about kind of how uh what we're seeing today right i mean the now, part of the reason well, why wait, we're wait, seeing wait, this crime let's, wave. let's stay let's stay with minneapolis for a minute did the police in minneapolis when you were there and watching did they do their job or did they stand down uh, they 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 tried uh to the best of their ability but in and when i got onto the ground on that first thursday outside the third precinct which was the night when they were ordered to evacuate and it was eventually set on fire. But, but prior to that, they, they didn't have the manpower to stop uh, just the lawlessness that was happening. I mean, right across the street, uh, at, there was a whole, uh, uh, you know, stores and businesses like a Target and a grocery store, along with several other ones uh, that were just being looted uh, th- throughout the entire day. And the police and couldn't stop And you say the cops didn't have enough people to stop it. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if they wanted because they, to they were they were primarily they were primarily focused on protecting the third precinct because uh, yeah because they the, were store and they and they yeah. burned down that precinct they they failed in protecting it that precinct was burned to the ground so I think I see it a little bit differently than you do and remember you have more credibility than I have because you were there and I was not there but I don't think that the mayors of these towns wanted a strict enforcement of the anti-rioting laws. I don't, and I think that message was, the cops picked that message up. Now, you were also in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where uh, the infamous uh, Rittenhouse case took, uh, that's where that was, 
What did you see there? So with specifically the Rittenhouse case, I mean, well, first off, I mean, the, the context is that this happened in a riot. I mean, mainstream media has just been consistently labeled the Rittenhouse shootings taking place during a protest, which is not the case at all. I mean, they, the rioters were attacking the county courthouse for a third night in the row. Uh, they, they were attacking the National Guardsmen. It wasn't just police anymore. They were attacking National Guardsmen. And so uh, naturally, in response to that, the law enforcement pushed them away from the courthouse. The problem is, and again, this kind of goes back to manpower, uh, they, they pushed the rioters away from the courthouse towards the people who were protecting uh, private property from further damage because uh, in the previous days when they couldn't get close to the courthouse, they then decided to destroy other things that were unprotected. And so with the Rittenhouse case specifically, it's just, I mean, it just creates, when we have this power vacuum that's created uh, in these, you know, very chaotic uh, incidents, you're going to get examples like, like how Rittenhouse. Okay. So um, I think it's safe to say that there was very little planning, that the police were not supported by uh, the politicians by and large. Certainly in New York City here, the politicians didn't want to prosecute any of the looters, any of the people who hurt police officers and civilians. Cy Vance was the attorney general, uh, was the district attorney, I should say, in New York City. He had no interest in prosecuting anyone. And San Francisco, L.A., Chicago was the same way. Then you write a little bit about the capital situation where uh, there was a much more robust response to those who violated the Capitol, broke in and created mayhem there. Correct? Yes. And, 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 that's, and that's kind of what makes January 6th so frustrating. Having covered, you know, both the 2020 riots and January 6th is that um, you know, again, that that was that was a riot, and and people did do bad things. But when you look at kind of how hard the hammer came down on people who didn't even who didn't even who weren't even accused of rioting or, or being violent, they still they still got the book thrown at them pretty hard. When and then you contrast that to like the Portland federal courthouse and the month long siege that took place. I mean, there were people who were uh, who were accused of attacking police officers, and they had their cases dismissed. And so really when it comes to, you know, you know, violence begets violence and, and it, we're, it just creates this cycle that, that, that we're kind of in right now. And that's why there's concern with uh, leftist reaction if Roe versus Wade is overturned, uh, they, you know, there's gonna probably, you know, there's, there's a good chance that they can go back to their previous playbook because they were able to get away with so much for so long. Possible, I'm hoping not. We're not seeing that level of violence as we saw with the Floyd situation. There is a difference though um, in Minneapolis and Kenosha, Wisconsin, and New York City and San Francisco, these are local crimes, all right? So they're adjudicated on the local level. In the Capitol, that is a federal crime. And it's much more serious to violate federal law than state law. It, it sounds hollow because if you kill a person in a state or you kill a federal official, they're both dead. But the federal apparatus is, is much tougher than the state apparatus, particularly in a liberal place like Portland, Oregon, which doesn't really care about enforcing the law. Did you factor that into your analysis of January 6th vis-a-vis George Floyd? You know, absolutely. And, and as I state in the book, like, it's not surprising that, uh, that the uh, that people who did break into the Capitol had, had the hammer kind of brought down on them. Uh, but, but the issue is, is that when, when we're talking about whether or not, uh, you know, like what is justice and what is just? Well, you would think that the DOJ would would look at 
uh, especially again, and that's why I point to the federal courthouse in Portland because that, that, that was federal property. And yeah, granted, a federal courthouse is not on the same level in terms of significance as, as the Capitol building. But when we're, when we're talking about consequences, you know, my opinion, anybody, you know, it doesn't matter what their causes or, you know, what, 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 their, what their side is. But when you go out and commit criminal acts, especially to people who had nothing to do with whatever outrage was being caused, uh, you know they should they should be held they should be held accountable to to that fact. Um, but uh, you know I, I can personally attest to that a friend of mine who was a freelance photographer uh, he got swept up and the FBI is going after him even though he didn't uh, commit any crimes at all. Uh, and so it's he just, was in he was in the Capitol building taking pictures I assume. No, no, he was outside. He never went inside. So he was outside. The FBI arrested him outside. Uh, it, it was you no. Know, this was months after the fact. Okay. You got caught up on surveillance, I'm sure. All right, Julio, the book is fiery, but mostly peaceful. And uh, if you want to know what the inside stuff is on the George Floyd riots, that is the book. We appreciate your time very much. Everything is expensive these days. You know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its free fall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD, Two six five five three two. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Six major cities on pace to pass historic violent crime stats. Six major cities. They are Baltimore, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, D.C., Atlanta, New York City. All on pace to break violent crimes reported. Halfway through the year. All right. This is because, and we all know this, progressive policies, just as we were talking with Doug Jones, how the progressives have screwed up the federal government, they are screwing up the city governments. No doubt about it. So let's prove it once again by going to Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown. Put their pictures up. Let everybody see the mayor and the superintendent. There they are. Okay, so yesterday, a new order comes down to the Chicago PD. You are not to chase suspects on foot 
for running away. Okay? So the thinking is, if you commit a minor offense in Chicago and you run away, cops aren't going to chase you. What's a minor offense? Well, how about possession of narcotics? So you can have fentanyl, maybe a pound of it, in your backpack, heroin, methamphetamine, get the little backpack, dope's there, okay, cop sees you taking the dope out of your backpack, selling it, cop approaches you, run away, cop can't chase you, can't chase you, what do you think? That law enforcement, that justice, that make the city of Chicago safer? Have dope dealers? <laughs> and you think I'm exaggerating? You know, I, no. This is what they ordered. And in the face of that, last year in Chicago, there were 797 homicides. All right? In 2019, 495. That's Lori Lightfoot. Good job. And all of those homicides, not all, most of them, drug gang related. Miss Mayor. L.A., now I told you yesterday, two cops, El Monte, California, about 15 miles east of Los Angeles. Okay. Corporal Michael Partis and uh, Officer Joseph Santana murdered. Okay, guy who did it. Justin Flores, gang member, long rap sheet, okay, uh, should have been in prison. 35 years old, he committed suicide when the cops closed in on him after he shot and killed these two police officers. The district attorney, George Gascon, is being blamed because he won't prosecute these people. Here's what he said. Go. Simple possession of a gun is not considered a violent crime, Okay. He was arrested for possession of drugs and possession of a gun, not the use of a gun. Simple possession of a gun is not considered a violent crime by a felon. Though so he missed, left that out. Gascon left that out. This guy wasn't just some hunter. He had committed crimes in the past. And they knew, Gascon did, that he was a gang member, a drug gang member. They knew he was. And the police were responding to a call, 911, that the guy was beating up his girlfriend. But he's not violent. It's not, no. So in George Gascon's mind, and he is the chief law enforcement officer in the country's largest county, L.A. County, in his mind, if you are carrying an illegal gun, handgun, it has nothing to do with violence. You got to shoot somebody before Gascon is going to whip into action. Now, it's against the law, of course, for a convicted felon to carry a gun, a handgun in California. Not violent. Okay, so now we have Chicago drug dealers. You can run away and nobody can chase you. And in L.A., hey, you're a gang member. You got two felony sheets. Ah, put the handgun on. I don't care. Do, can I make it any more vivid for everybody? I, I don't think I can. This is anarchy. This is these so-called 
officials, elected officials, and they are elected. So the people of Chicago and Los Angeles bear some responsibility. But these people are aiding and abetting murder, drug dealing, aiding and abetting. That's what they're helping the killers and the pushers. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. One poll uh, took a survey of 2,000 Americans about, are you afraid? 52% of Americans feel concerned about their safety on a daily basis. Younger Americans are the most likely to feel concerned. 75% of those between the ages of 25 and 54 are concerned about their safety. 50%, 45 to 54, are concerned on a daily basis. Now, most of these people live in the cities. If you live in the suburbs, as I do, or in the countryside, you don't see this kind of intensity. But I, when I go into the city, which is only 20 miles away from me, all right, Manhattan, Queens is only eight miles away. When I go there, then I can see it. These drug gangs control entire neighborhoods. Nothing is being done to stop them. Nothing. And that's why the violent crime and the horrific murder rate is going up. Because the progressives will not solve or even attempt to solve the problem. It's really a scandal. Here is the final thought of the day. So I get a lot of mail about shows that we've done in the past and people didn't see them or they misheard. If you are BillOReilly.com Premier Concierge member, you can get the shows from day one. Okay, so you go to the internet, uh, you go to the BillOReilly.com and uh, a week's worth of clips and interviews are on the left side. Click them on. So one week, they're there. Then after that, there's a little magnifying glass on the right side of the, right, you click that on, and then you just type in something like John Stossel interview, or uh, if you're on your phone, it's the same thing. You click the menu bar, Bernie Goldberg interview, or 2,000 Mules, or whatever it is, and it'll pop up for you. And we keep a vast archive. All uh, concierge and premium members on BillOReilly.com are entitled to transcripts every night. You get them free, so you want to see what we're doing, what we're saying, you want to have a little discussion with your friends, get those transcripts. So look, this website enhances your life. I can't say it enough. You're watching, you're wasting your time on network and cable news. They're not going to tell you much, not going to learn much. Here you will every single day. And I thank everybody for watching and listening on our 100 radio stations across the country, taking the no-spin news. We will see you tomorrow.